This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Well, once again, we're going to follow the exploits of Johnny Duller, the insurance company investigator, uh, while keeping copious details of each expense that he relates along with his adventures, he's often sent on far-flung locales of the world and is almost guaranteed to run up against some pretty nasty people while he digs into areas that just scream danger. He would compare notes with the police officials who had first investigated each strange occurrence and follow every clue until he figured out exactly what happened. Johnny's file on each case was usually referred to as a matter. As in the case tonight, let's listen to Edmund O'Brien as Johnny Dollar in the Aerocraft Matter. For your enjoyment, Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum presents from Hollywood, Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. Good evening. This is Mr. Snell, Secretary. Oh, sure. Hi. I was unable to reach Mr. Snell before he left for the West Coast, but he asked me to outline the case to you and hoped you'd follow him out there. It's quite serious. Oh? What is it? Our company has been carrying the policies on a line of pleasure boats for a West Coast sales agency, the Aerocraft Cruisers. Within the past two weeks, three of them have sunk with no survivors. Bad risks. Yes. There's a liability clause. Next of kin in each case is bringing suit for nearly a million dollars. Edmund O'Brien in another adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office Grand East Life and Liability Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during assignment to Millard Snell of your legal department on the investigation of the Arrowcraft matter. Expense account item one, $275 air travel Hartford to Los Angeles and rented car travel from Los Angeles to Newport Beach and... The heart of the trouble. Snell? Well, it's Snell. Who is it? It's Dollar. Dollar? Hurry up. Get aboard. The watcher. She's wet tonight. Hey, give me your arm. Come on. Thanks. Didn't think you were going to make it. 
You talked to your secretary? Yes, that was yesterday from Chicago. Well, I didn't know where you were until I called her from the Los Angeles airport a couple of hours ago. Then when I got here, your hotel told me you'd just left to charter a boat. What's up? Myers, how long will it be? Uh, Robert should be here any minute, Mr. Snell. Couldn't leave without him. Uh, if you can hurry him up anyway, do it. Come on in the cabin, Dollar. Out of this foul night air. Oh. I thought it was bad sometimes in Hartford. Another cruiser has been reported, darling. An arrow craft? Yes. Reported by a private plane between here and Catalina Island. That's 30 miles offshore. The Coast Guard been notified? Yes, but candidly, I hope we see it before they do. Find out what we insured. If we can find it in this fog. Find it? You mean this one is still afloat? Before dark, yes. Barely afloat. Robert! Hurry, get aboard! Ah, there he is. The navigator we've been waiting for. I hope he's sober. Tell me, what have you learned so far? What makes them sink? I don't know. The sales agent, Fred Crocker. You'll meet him. Swears by aircraft. Says they're one of the best holes afloat. Ah, but the fact remains they've been sinking. Uh-huh, and a tragic fact, too. The loss of life so far has been hard. Three 28-foot boats, 11 fatalities. No trace of the cruisers, either. But a life ring or two. Must have been deep water, then. What about bodies? Seven have been recovered and four still missing. Ah, we're getting started. It was 10 p.m. when we left the quiet resort village. And it was dawn when we saw in the fog what we had been unable to find during a whole night of searching. The arrow craft, without sign of life, was almost entirely awash, bow down in the channel swell. That's close enough, Myers. Right. We don't want to nudge her. She's allowed to roll over. Well, here we are, but there's nothing we can do about her. How she stays up is beyond me. Any chance of towing it in? Not in that shape. Give her any weight. Just take more water and go down. Can you put me aboard? If you want to go, I can put you there, but I don't know what your weight is going to do. He's ready to roll. What do you think, Robert? Oh, put him over the stern. That shouldn't upset her. You'd better get some of those clothes off, Dollar, while we swing around. All right. You think it's worth it? You're going aboard? Worth it? I'm not going for a night like that without having a look at it. Gives me the creeps. The thing of wash like that. Looks dead. Yeah. Too dead. Why isn't there anyone aboard? Why isn't somebody hanging onto the side? Okay, fellow, we'll move into it now. I'm ready. To get back there on the transom. That's it. Right there. I'll swing you right into it. All right. There you are. Go ahead. Okay. Hey, get off the go. And stay a midship. Dug it to either side. You roll. I'm all right. Anything there? Yeah. Yeah, there's something here. There's a girl in the cabin. Her body floated face down in the flooded cabin, held in there by the narrowness of the passageway. After an unpleasant and ticklish 15 minutes, she was lifted aboard the other boat by three suddenly silent men. There was little else I could do on the derelict but memorize the name and address on the certificate of ownership. So I left it and followed the girl. 
I didn't bargain for this dollar. It doesn't bother me to read about 11 of them, but... But this girl... Why, she can't be over 18. Yeah, I noticed. You know, if it was a guy, it wouldn't hit so hard. Like this. Beautiful. Have you radioed in about this? I waited to find out whether you want to stand by the boat or not. No. We'll start right back. Get word to the police. Ask them to meet us. I think it's a case for them. The boat's registered to a Chester McNeil, Newport Beach address. McNeil, Newport Beach. McNeil, yes, all right. You want to get us started, Robert? Right. What'd you find, Dollar? Come here, look at this. See? Behind the rear. You see the bruise? Yeah. Yeah, I noticed it when I was getting her out of the cabin. She'd been slugged? She could have been. There's long black hair. You see here? The water's ruined most of it, but there's still part of the braid. It could have been a hard blow, one that might have killed a man, but her braid might have softened it. I'm looking for an answer to why she was on that boat, alone and dead. It was an answer I never did actually find and prove, because in the final analysis, the death of this beautiful, dark-haired girl was no more important than any of the rest of them. She was taken to the county morgue, and after making my formal statement to the police and giving them my informal theories, I followed her there. Well, I take it that the deceased is not a personal friend of yours. That's right, Dr. Sane. I'm an insurance investigator. I'm in Southern California because a number of people have died in the sinkings of some insured pleasure boats. Oh, yes. The aircraft? Yes. And the death of this girl has become important to me. What's her name? Caruso, Antonia Caruso. She was identified by her mother. Antonia. Are you planning an autopsy? Why do you ask? I wonder if you noticed a bruise behind her right ear. Yes, I reported it. You're an observant fellow. Dr. Sane, you must have examined some of the other bodies from these sinkings. Were there any indications of violence on them? If there were, I was unable to discover them. The period of immersion in other cases, you must understand, was much longer than in the Caruso case. Water makes it difficult. Why do you ask? Well, the rest of the sinkings, the boats themselves have been blamed. But after today, it seems to me there's a possibility that something else has caused them, at least this one. The contusion? Yes. There were two other people on that boat, the owner, Chester McNeil, and his father. But the girl's body was the only one aboard. Why? Uh, I didn't know the particulars. I think the girl wore braids, Doctor. If she did, could she have survived the blow that would have killed the two men? Protection? Well, location of the wound would bear you out behind the ear. Could she have been knocked unconscious and thrown overboard and then recovered enough to get back on? Could this have happened to the girl? Are you suggesting homicide, Mr. Dollar? I'm not sure. Then I'm not sure why perfectly good boats start sinking without survivors, either. They have to make autopsy examination to determine the degree of concussion. Well, that's why I asked. Are you going to perform one? In the state of California, Mr. Dollar, except in cases of unquestionable criminal acts, autopsy is allowed upon only permission of the next of kin. Now, this contusion, well, it could have been sustained so many ways. Yes, I know, I know. As a matter of fact, arrangements have already been made to move the body to a private establishment. Oh. Um, could you give me her mother's address? Why, yes, I suppose so. But I'd be doing no more than saving you a search of the phone book. 
What is it you want? Mrs. Caruso, I'm the man that found your daughter. Oh. Then why have you come here? You shouldn't know my grief. I do, Mrs. Caruso, but I'd like to talk with you if I could. What is there to say? I don't want to see you. There is no room for sympathy. I didn't know anything about your daughter, but I'd like to. I'd, I'd like to hear about her. Why do you do this? Because... Because I don't think her death was accidental. Oh, go away. Why do you say this? My girl, she never did a no wrong. I didn't mean that, Mrs. Crusoe. Please, may I come in? All right. In my house. I'm sorry. They're not cared for. There have been so many things to do. Oh, I won't stay long. She was a good girl. She was going to marry Chester. His father was with them. She was going to marry Chester. Oh, we hoped it so much, Antonia and me, that it would be a good marriage. Mrs. Caruso. We always dreamed. We were good people, only poor. We give everything so Antonia will be better. She was so beautiful. She was going to marry Chester. I'm sorry to bother you at a time like this. Now, she's gone. I saw her. I saw her, too. And I want to learn why she's gone. Now, Mrs. Caruso, is there any reason that you can think of why there should have been trouble on this trip in the McNeil boat? Oh, no. We go many times. They love the boat. They go many times. Always with his father to take care of them. He loves her, too. My daughter, he called her. She was going to marry his Chester. Be so happy. Please, Mrs. Oh, my Antonia. Antonia. Please, go. You know my grief. Leave my house. Leave my house. I left her house and drove back to Millard Snell's hotel. It was 7 p.m., and I hoped we could get to Crocker, the West Coast agent for Arrowcraft, before the night was out. But I found Snell white-faced when I opened the door and too anxious to show me the front page of the evening paper. I didn't know where to find you, Dollar. For what? And you haven't heard. Fred Crocker, the aircraft agent. He was killed this afternoon. Oh. It says traffic. Hit and run, Bixen. But I don't believe it. Look at it. Violence in another form preceded the tragedy of the story said. Crocker's sales office was entered earlier today in a bold daylight strike. The interior was wrecked, but whether or not the entry was for purposes of theft has not been ascertained. The writer didn't make any definite statements. But reading between the lines, you knew that he was exploring the possibility that revenge was at the bottom of both the violence and the tragedy. That those who had lost family or friends in the Arrowcraft sinking had wrecked Crocker's office and then killed him. 
But remembering the bruise behind the Caruso girl's ear, I didn't believe that either. And now, with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return you to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Snell and I drove out to what had been Crocker's sales office. A sheriff's deputy met us outside and took us in. Give me some light if, uh... Oh, there's a switch. Well, not as bad as it could be. At least the drawers aren't dumped. These are from a file cabinet. We'll start here. What are you looking for? Crocker's sales records. Sales records? The names and addresses of all the people who bought arrowcrafts from him. I don't think we'll find it. I don't get you. We've got a theory. That those boats didn't just think that they were boarded. That the people who've been lost were slugged before they were drowned. And that the boats were scuttled. What do you think of it? Why would anybody set out to wreck aircraft? Well, that I don't know. Probably because they're linked to something important. Maybe something or somebody is on an aircraft and somebody else doesn't know which one. Here's the sales folder, Dollar. It's empty, all right. Sure it is. That gives them the location of every aircraft between here and San Diego. Sheriff, nobody has said where Crocker was when this place was entered. They don't know yet. You got a theory? Yeah. That he was here. Yeah, that after the list of names and addresses was taken, he was dragged out of here and killed with a car for the same reason the others have been killed. Because alive, they might have been identifying witnesses. Well, they say everybody's got a right to his own opinion, but that's too crazy for me. Well, I don't blame you. It's too crazy for anybody. Maybe so crazy it'll never be cleared up. Expense account item two, $112 cost of entertainment that same night for as many members of the press as I could get hold of. They listened to my theory, agreed that it was unbelievable, but worth printing on the grounds of sensationalism. The story made the morning editions, most of the papers slanting it towards warning the aircraft owners listed in Crocker's stolen records. But it didn't look so unbelievable because it had a companion piece. A night watchman at one of the yacht clubs lay near death from gunshot wounds after apprehending a prowler aboard an aircraft. The prowler was being held at the county jail. Who is this guy, Sergeant? Jerry LaBarbe is the name he uses. We put a search on him last night. He's one of those things you call a known hoodlum because nobody's been able to pin much on him. Known to the police in Las Vegas, L.A., and San Diego, in the name of few. There he is. I hope you had better luck with him than we did. If you meant that, you'd leave me alone with him for the rest of the day. Sorry. Off the bunk, LaBarber. You got a visitor. On your feet. Stand up. Okay, hero. You got me up. What's the matter with you? What's missing, LaBarber? What? What's lost? What were you looking for on the arrow craft? Come on, who are you working for? I'm out of work. Why don't you save your breath? How many of the other killings were you mixed up in? What are the killings? I get into a scrape with an eager night watchman, and now you talk about pinning other killings on me. What is this? Who are you working for? I'm out of work. You could do yourself some good, you know. I'm not complaining, am I? 
You were off to a pretty good start. Even if that watchman lives, you're going to be tried for assault with intent to kill. That's a long rap. You might make it shorter by using your head. Is that a promise? <laughs> Don't make me laugh. You're a sucker, LaBarba. But this is a promise. I'm going to see you charged for Crocker's murder. Who's Crocker? And I'm going into the business of searching arrowcrafts myself. Don't be stupid. Why not put the blame where it belongs? Blame? For what? Okay, Sergeant, I've had enough. So have I. I wonder how long it takes to get that way. For what? I could buy and sell you, you cheap tin star. Well, what do you think? He's covering for somebody, isn't he? Thank you're right. You shouldn't have tipped your hand so much about searching the boat. Word's going to get out. Out of a jail cell? And he called for a lawyer, one of the hot men from L.A. We can refuse him visitors, but not a private session with a criminal who happens to be his lawyer. Oh, I'd like to hear that one. <laughs> you should. It's going to put a bigger bullseye on your back than that newspaper story did. There was no trouble that day and no progress. We had time to contact two Arrowcraft owners that afternoon and went aboard their boats. Nothing came of it but a feeling of frustration because we didn't know what we were looking for, how large a small it was, whether to empty fire extinguishers or pick and open batteries. That night the news broke that the night watchman had died of his wounds. Snell and I made an attempt at eating dinner and took a bottle of cognac to my room to see what it could do. The phone call came at 9.30. Hello? Hello? Well, this is Dollar speaking. Who's this? I'm in a phone booth, so don't bother trying to trace this call. It's about the boat trouble. All right. What about it? Not over the phone. You have to come up here. Where do I meet you? I've got to be careful. You'll know why when I talk to you. You have to come alone. What else? There's a place called Leeds Bar. It's on Long Beach Boulevard, three blocks up from the beach. You'll see the sign. I'll find it. You can make it in an hour. But you've got to be alone. I will be. All right. Quarter of eleven. What was that? Some girl says she wants to talk about the Arrowcraft. Wants me to meet her in Long Beach. Don't be ridiculous. You're not going. Somebody has to do something. Nothing as foolhardy as this. We've been expecting them to make a move. Here it is. You don't for a minute think she's telling the truth. I won't find out sitting here swilling brandy with you. I wasted ten minutes in Newport circling through alleys and side streets to shake any tail that might have been put on me. And then I headed up the coast highway. At exactly 10.45, I was ordering a drink in Leeds Bar. It arrived simultaneously with a metallic nudge in the ribs from a man who had taken the stool on my right. Drink it, Dollar. We've got to go. I was supposed to get a message from a girl. You've had it. Come on, drink up. All right. Now leave. I'll meet you outside the door. Do I get to talk with this girl? She's outside. Okay. This way. Here's the car. Now, you get in front of her. I'll get him back. Where to now? Just a little way. 
You weren't followed? I made it a point not to be. Well, you wanted to talk. Yeah, I do. I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I don't think I care anymore. It's been like I killed all those people who've died. Take it easy, honey. You mean their deaths are your fault? So it is, yeah. I mean, I could have stopped it, but I was afraid to because one of his men would have killed me. And I thought he'd stop me for this. He? Who do you mean? Hey, <laughs> watch what you're going. You better stop when. This is as good a place as any. Yeah. I didn't go to the police because I had a record. And he's so powerful, he, he could have made it look like blackmail and it wouldn't have gone any farther. Who is so powerful? George Masterson. George Masterson? Who's he? Oh, he seems like a businessman. He owns a line of furniture stores. I've known him for three years. It was one of those things where, well, every once in a while, I'd learn something about him. Well, I finally understood what he really was, and he knew I did. What kind of payment do you expect for what you're telling me? Dollar. I hadn't thought of money. I swear I hadn't. All right. Go ahead. Masterson's as far outside the law as you can get. Narcotics, jewels and furs, aliens, Mexican gold, anything. He runs the West Coast for a combination that has headquarters in Italy. Who knows this? I do. And I wrote it all down. Please to prove it. Like the names he uses for all his bank accounts to evade income tax. All of it. That's what he's been looking for on his boat. Well, and he was afraid... Writing it down was the only way I could think of to protect myself. He was afraid of me. Because I knew so much about him. He was going to have me killed. We were in Mexico when I told him. Ensenada. When he didn't believe me, I showed him a copy. I told him I'd hidden the original on a boat I'd visited. And that if he killed me, I had a way of letting the police know which one. Which one is it? I was lying to him. I didn't put it on a boat. I was lying. Arrowcraft was only a name I remembered. When he asked me, I said Arrowcraft. You mean there's nothing on those boats and 16 people have died? I know. I, I know I was wrong. I should have. But when you did, you only think of yourself. Don't go in, honey. You'll be all right. This paper you say you wrote, where is it? I have it here. I want you to take it. All right, get out, Father. I want to take her home. I didn't fully believe her until I had finished reading her denunciation of George Masterson after they'd left me. But by the end of it, I knew that in my hands was the hottest document in California. I knew that hundreds of rotten lives could be crumbled and millions of dollars in criminal traffic could be stopped. And it did away with the possibility of any suit against Arrowcraft or your company. But it wasn't enough. I should have gone to the authorities with it then. Instead, I took a room for the night and mailed it to the FBI in the morning. Then I went after Masterson. I found him in a plush office in one of his furniture stores. Here. Just a moment, sir. You can't go in and Masterson. What's the meaning of this? You're announced before you get in here. Not this morning, Masterson. I'm sorry, sir. Get somebody to throw this man out. What's the matter with you? Who are you? Johnny Dollar, working on the Arrowcraft sinkings. Gwen Thomas. I've read her statement. I don't know what you're talking about. About 16 deaths. The FBI can have you for the rest. 
But I want you for those 16 deaths. Get away from me. Get away from you. Stay away from me. Get up. Oh, listen to me. I was concerned, that was it. The girl was placed under protective custody by the FBI and the district attorney, who had worked out 75 counts on Masterson's indictment before I left. It's too bad that all of the next of kin of the 16 dead can't sit in the jury box. Expense account item three, same as item one. Expense account total, $940.20. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd and David Ellis with music composed and conducted by Leif Stevens. Edmund O'Brien can soon be seen starring in the Columbia Pictures production 7-Eleven Ocean Drive. Featured in tonight's cast were Gene Bates, Howard McNear, Clayton Post, Harry Bartell, Ty Averback, John McIntyre, and Jeanette Nolan. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is produced and directed by Jaime Delvire. The makers of Wrigley Spearmint Chewing Gum invite you to join us next week at this same time when, from Hollywood, Edmund O'Brien returns in another adventure of... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Bob Stevenson speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Lucille Ball to entertain as Liz Cooper, as we follow her trials and tribulations with her husband, George, played by Richard Denning. Beginning with the 26th episode on January 7th of 1949, confusion with bandleader Xavier Cougat prompted a name change from Cougat to Cooper. And here we go with My Favorite Husband. It's time for My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball. Hello, everybody. Yes, it's the new gay family series starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning. Brought to you by the Jell-O family of dessert. And now Lucille Ball with Richard Denning as Liz and George Cooper. Two people who live together and like it. (laughs) 
As we look in on the Coopers tonight, George is on his way to work and is about to drop Liz off at Finley's Bookstore, where she's going to practice that quaint American custom known as exchanging your Christmas presents. You know, I'm really lucky, George. This book you gave me is the only present I have to exchange. Sorry. I guess I forgot which size book you wore. (laughs) Oh, don't be silly. It's just not the kind of book I like, that's all. I have no interest in it. Mm. Oh, then uh, why did you wait two weeks to exchange it? It took me that long to read it. (laughs) Liz, that's cheating. No, it isn't. If I didn't read it and find out I didn't like it, how could I tell whether I wanted to keep it or not? Uh, There must be an answer to that. Oh, there's Finley's, honey. I get off here. Well, goodbye, baby. Aren't you going to kiss me goodbye? Oh, Oh, wait a minute. Oh, George, you don't have to get out and come all the way around and open the door for me. Oh, I wasn't going to. My coat was caught in the door. (laughs) Thank you, Sir Walter Raleigh. Well, goodbye. See you at night. Hey! You forgot to kiss me! Oh. Oh, good morning, Mrs. Cooper. Good morning, Mrs. Finley. I wonder if I could exchange this book my husband bought me for Christmas. Well, I think so. What's the matter? Didn't you like it? No. I mean, I didn't read it. <laughs> well, I'll take it back. Thanks. Here's your book. Thanks. Here's your bookmark. <laughs> I wonder how that got in there. Mm-hmm. They're sneaky little things. <laughs> now, here's a new book I think you'd like. It's a historical novel, and is it spicy? Look at that cover. Hmm, it does have a plunging book jacket, doesn't it? (laughs) And it's just as good inside. Wow! (laughs) You read it? Half of it. I had to quit. It kept steaming up my glasses. (laughs) Say, say, here's just the book for you. It's about marriage. The Second Ten Years of the Hardest by Thomas J. Crendleston. Well, I certainly don't need it. George and I have been married 11 years and we're very happy. Mm, He's got a whole list of danger signs that tell if your hubby's losing interest. No, no. You see? Here. Does your husband read the newspaper at the breakfast table? Look, if George ever lost interest, I certainly wouldn't need a book to tell me. What was that? (laughs) Does your husband read the newspaper at the breakfast table? Absolutely not. And what of it? (laughs) Did Mr. Cooper read the paper when you were first married? Well, no. Because we were holding hands all the time. He didn't start reading till he learned how to turn the page with his nose. (laughs) Fred, if you don't write this book, let's see what we can... Wait a minute, Mrs. Finley. What else does that dope have to say? Mm-hmm. Number two. Does your husband remember to kiss you goodbye? Hmm. <laughs> What's the next thing? <laughs> Does your husband still open the car door for you? Wrap that book up, Mrs. Finley. That man knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Mrs. Cooper, what in the world is that book you've had your nose in all day? It's a very enlightening book about marriage, Katie. 
It gives the test to see if your husband is indifferent and a test to see if he's unfaithful. Well, what if he isn't indifferent and isn't unfaithful? Well, then he gives a third test to see if he's alive. (laughs) (laughs) You certainly don't need it. I've never seen a happier couple than you and Mr. Cooper. Well, we'll see. If George passes the test, I may keep him. (laughs) Well, that's big of you. Here's a test for indifference. Listen. You can tell your husband is indifferent by any of the following signs. A. He doesn't stand up when you enter the room. There goes half the marriages in the country. (laughs) B. He doesn't remember your anniversary. There goes the other half. (laughs) C. He has stopped doing nice little things for you, such as picking up a handkerchief or other items you may drop. What do you think George's score will be, Katie? You're not going to actually test him out, are you? I certainly am. Tonight after dinner, I'm going to walk into the living room, drop my handkerchief, and say, George, do you know what day this is? No. Yes. And if George doesn't leap out of his chair, pick up my handkerchief and say, our anniversary, watch out. Wait a minute. Today isn't your anniversary. I know it. But does George know it? (laughs) We'll find out. Peek into the living room, Katie. Is George sitting down yet? Yes, he's reading the paper. Good. I can't expect him to stand up when I enter the room if he's not sitting down to start with, see? Well, here I go. Hi, George. Hmm? Hi, George. Hi, Liz. Well? Well, what? I just entered the room through that door. Well, that beats coming down the chimney. Yes, doesn't it? Well? Well, what? Why don't you sit down, Liz? Why don't you stand up? Well, why should I? Is someone playing the Star-Spangled Banner? No. You want to see who's tallest? No. Oh, I know. You want to get this chair. Well, nothing doing. I was here first. And besides, my shoes are too tight. Well, don't just stand there looking at me, Liz. Come on, sit down. Make yourself at home. All right. I will. Oh, Liz, you dropped your handkerchief. I did? Yes. There it is. uh, Right down by my feet. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, wait a minute before you pick it up, Liz. Yes? While you're down there, will you untie my shoelaces? George Cooper, I hate you! What's the matter with you, Liz? Were you under the dryer too long today? I'll give you one more chance. George Cooper, do you know what day this is? Oh, uh, of course I do, dear. I bet you thought I'd forgotten. What? I have a present for you right here in the desk drawer. Good heavens, it is something I've forgotten. Here you are, darling. Many happy returns of the day. Well, thank you. Uh, what's it for? Happy anniversary, honey. This is not our anniversary. Oh, it isn't? I mean, of course it isn't. Happy birthday, darling. It's not my birthday, either. Valentine's Day? (laughs) No, try Groundhog Day. No, never mind. I give up, Liz. Oh, what day is it? It isn't any day. And what's this box of candy you had all wrapped up? Well, 
I've had that in the desk for three years. <laughs> three years? What for? So I'd be ready in case you suddenly said, do you know what day this is? <laughs> well, that's a sneaky trick. I don't get this whole thing, Liz. It isn't any special day. It is, too. It's the day I found out you don't care about me anymore. Liz, what's the matter with you? Don't speak to me, you kid! Did you want to see me, Mr. Atterbury? Yes, yes. Come in, George boy. Is something troubling you? Yes, sir. Well, don't walk around with such a worried look on your face. The bank examiners are coming today. <laughs> I'll try to do better, sir. Well, if you can't look cheerful, at least stay down in the vault where they, when they're here. Yes, sir. What's, uh, what seems to be the trouble, boy? Oh, it's Liz. She's acting very strange. Strange for Liz or strange for a normal person? <laughs> now, strange for Liz. Yeah. No wonder you're worried, boy What are her symptoms? Oh, real goofy She'll she'll walk into a room and drop her handkerchief And if I don't pick it up, she cries Last night she made a big scene Because I didn't remember it wasn't our anniversary Oh, she's going through that phase That phase? Yes, the You don't love me anymore phase All women go through it Even Iris Really? Yes. Yes, it happens around the time they decide to finally admit they've reached 30. About uh, their 35th birthday. (laughs) Uh, But it's easily handled. Well, uh, what shall I do? Ignore her? No, on the contrary. Make her feel important. Shower her with affection. Romance her. That's what I did with Iris. Yeah, how did you do it? I forced myself. How will I go about it? Oh, well, when you go home tonight, take her some flowers. Oh, flowers, huh? Yes. And then, just as she's recovering from the shock of the flowers, you suddenly announce that you're taking her out to dinner and dancing. What, do you think it'll work? Go home and try it, boy. You'll be surprised. Cooper, are you still reading that book? Yes. Last night I found out George was disinterested. Now I'm finding out why. What does the book say? Well, according to Crandleston, a husband may be disinterested for any of the following reasons. A. Now this is funny. He feels inferior to you because you have a greater mentality. (laughs) Well, it isn't that funny. (laughs) Sorry. B. Perhaps there's another woman? Oh, now that's ridiculous, not Mr. Cooper. Another woman, huh? As long as you've been married, he never even looked at anyone else. Another woman, huh? Oh, Mrs. Cooper, you're being silly. Well, we'll find out. Look at this next paragraph. Some sure signs of unfaithfulness. What are they? You can tell that your husband is unfaithful by any one of the following signs. A. If for no reason at all, he brings home a gift like a bouquet of flowers. (laughs) Well, I've never seen Mr. Cooper bring you flowers. Well, lucky for him is all I can say. 
You're safe there. I'm not through yet. B, if your husband suddenly starts romancing you and suggests dinner and dancing. There you are. He passes 100%. Yeah. I guess you're right, Katie. I'm getting all excited over nothing. You know, I should be happy I've got good old, dull old George. (laughs) Bonnie, I'm home. Sorry, blows. Old faithful. (laughs) I know just what he'll do, Katie. What? He'll come in, give me a peck on the cheek, read his paper, eat dinner, and fall asleep in his easy chair. (laughs) He ain't much, but he's all mine. (laughs) Well, I'll go for dinner. Hello, George. My darling. Oh, my beautiful wife. You you look ravishing. Who, me? (laughs) You, my little baby doll. Come on, give me a great big kiss. What are you holding behind your... Oh. oh, George. What are you holding behind your back? It's a surprise for you. Close your eyes. What is it? Close your eyes. They're closed. Open. Flowers. <laughs> yes. Uh, how do you like them? <laughs> hey, hey, what, what is this anyway? Oh, George, how could you bring me flowers? <laughs> because I love you. A- and that's not all. I've made arrangements to go to dinner and dancing tonight. <laughs> Oh, Liz, will you please give me an explanation? Yes, I'll be glad to. Well, what is it? Don't ever speak to me. That's what is it. (laughs) And now back to Lucille Ball in My Favorite Husband. It's the next morning, and Liz Cooper is feeling pretty blue because of, quote, another woman, unquote, in George's life. Katie the maid is commiserating with her. Mr. Cooper's actions last night convinced me you were right about that other woman, Mrs. Cooper. Oh, I guess men are just plain no good. You're right, Katie. But unfortunately, there's nothing else to marry. (laughs) Well, here he comes. Good morning, Liz. Uh, Good morning, Katie. (laughs) Look, Liz, at least you might give me an explanation. I haven't done anything. (laughs) Katie, what is this? I haven't done anything. (laughs) He hasn't done anything. (laughs) Do that too, you know. Thomas J. Crandleston certainly had you pegged. Who? Never mind. Oh, I'm going to make a phone call. Suit yourself. Who do you suppose he's calling, Katie? I wouldn't know. Hello? Hello, Iris. Is Mr. Atterbury there? Uh, no, he's gone, George boy. Well, I'll see him. Wait a minute. Iris, you're Liz's best friend. Now, has she talked to you about something awful I've done? No, she hasn't. But I'm glad you called. What did you do? (laughs) 
Well, that's, that's just it. I, I haven't done anything. Oh, nuts. <laughs> she's, she's acting awful strange. Maybe you could figure it out. Well, tell me all about it. Well, I, I can't right now. I'm phoning from home. Uh, can't we meet someplace? Let's have lunch together. We, we could meet at the restaurant. Down Katie, the way he closed the door so I wouldn't hear, do you suppose he's calling her? Oh, he would not right under your nose. Ah, you're right. It's just a business call. Why are you opening the door? Shh. I don't think he's getting enough air in there. <laughs> oh. All right, then. We'll meet there for lunch. Oh, it is a business acquaintance. Well, I'd better go. Liz will be getting suspicious. Oh, I wouldn't want her to know we were meeting like this. What? Oh, you don't know how much this means to me. You're a real sweetheart. Oh, Katie, it is the other woman. I wonder who the home-wrecking Hussie is. Oh, some gorgeous, attractive, young doll. I'm too old to hold him. Well, I'll see you at lunchtime, Iris. Iris! Oh, no! Iris Atterbury, my best friend. She stabbed me in the back right under my nose. (laughs) I'll take care of her. What are you going to do? I'm going down to see Mr. Atterbury. Oh, do you think you should? Why not? He's in this triangle, too. And we hypotenuses got to stick together. (laughs) Mr. Atterbury, I'm sorry to bother you at the bank like this, but... Something awful has happened. Why, Liz, girl, you're crying. (laughs) Now sit down and tell me what's wrong. I just found out that... (laughs) I just found out that... (laughs) I just found out that... (laughs) Don't go all the way back to the beginning each time. (laughs) Start with found out. Uh, Found out that George... uh... Oh, we're getting closer. Now start with George. George. George has another woman in his life. Liz, what are you saying? I just found out. Oh, don't go all the way back there again. <laughs> I heard what you said. How could he do a thing like this? Now, Liz, there's no sense getting excited about this. Be calm. We'll figure it out. You know who it is. Yes. I overheard them making a lunch date this morning. Be calm, calm, calm. Now, now who is it? Iris. Well, the thing to do is... (laughs) Iris? My Iris? What are you going to do about it, Mr. Atterbury? I'm going to fire him. I wouldn't have anyone with such poor judgment working for me. Would he ever give me up for her? Iris and George, I can't believe it. You know what that young upstart needs? Glasses? (laughs) Besides that, a good thrashing. 
You said they were having lunch together. Where? I don't know. Come on. We'll go to every restaurant in town. Mr. Atterbury, hmm? when we find George, will you do me a favor? What? Give me first crack at him. <laughs> Late. Oh, that's all right, Iris. <sighs> now, tell me all about it. Well, Iris, I've been mulling it over, and, well, I think Liz has a guilty conscience. I, I think she's interested in another man. Really? I mean, really? <laughs> oh, Georgie, you're jumping to conclusions. Uh-huh. So suppose I tell you I even know his name. No. Yeah, she, she let it drop this morning by mistake. Who is it? Thomas J. Crandleston. Has she ever mentioned him to you? Not a measly word. I'll never tell her anything as long as I... Uh-oh. Look, George. Coming in the door. It's Liz. And there's a man with her. You were right. Can you see who it is? No, no wait a minute. It's Mr. Atterbury. Oh, no. Rudolph and Liz. No wonder she didn't tell me. Ah, there they are, Liz. I see them. George. Liz, you and Mr. Atterbury. Iris. Well, if it isn't Rudolph, the red-nosed philanderer. (laughs) Now, just a minute, Iris. You can't bluff your way out of this. Shameless. What? I I think you owe me an explanation, Liz. I owe you an explanation? After I find you in a love nest with an old crow? <laughs> old crow! Now, now, just a minute. I happen to love that old crow. <laughs> and you're no spring chicken yourself. Don't forget those red feathers are all dark at the quills. <laughs> Don't you talk to Liz that way, fatso. (laughs) Why, you washed-out Casanova, you. I'll teach you to run off with my wife. Your wife? Do you think I'm crazy? (laughs) You ran off with my wife. Your wife? Do you think I'm crazy? (laughs) I heard you make a date with Iris. Well, I was trying to find out why you'd been acting like an idiot. Me? Yes, and while we're on the subject, I suppose Atterbury isn't Thomas J. Crandleston. Well? Thomas J. Crandleston? You thought that he... Oh, oh, oh. Sit down, everybody. Oh, I have a story to tell you. Once upon a time, there was an idiot named Liz Cooper. <laughs> well, we finally got that straightened out. <laughs> that whole mess just because I forgot to open the car door for Liz. Yeah. <laughs> well, Liz was perfectly right. You tell him, Iris. Well, here's my car. Uh, after you, George. Hey! Hey, George! Wait for us! Oh, Dad, we've forgotten them again. Oh, 
Uh, I'll turn around. Don't be a fool. Keep driving, boy. Head for the border. <laughs> Yes, Lucille, where to this evening? Bob, we're going to whip back through the years to some of the greatest moments in history. Tonight, we'll see what happened when Napoleon met Josephine. Okay, will I be Napoleon? Yeah, let's try it that way. (laughs) I'm too tall for the part. Here we go, Wilbur. Hi, Josephine. Hi, Nap. Let's cut a rug. Why? I always wanted to cut a rug with a short nap. But I'm asleep for the Battle of Waterloo Can't we sit this last one out? Well, okay, we can hold hand You mean hold hands? No, I mean hold hand You always keep your other hand stuck in your coat What happened? Did you break a strap on your underwear? No You got a dishpan hand? No Are you keeping the baby chick warm? (laughs) No, you'll never guess. Well, give me a hint. All right. It comes in six delicious flavors. Strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. Yes. Mm. What could it be? (laughs) The flavors are locked in so they can't get out till your first delectable spoonful. Gee, I know it as well as I know my own sponsor. <laughs> Look for the big red letters on the box. They spell J. Go on. E. Uh, let me take a look. L. L. Got it? No. Let me take a peek. Ooh! Ooh, Jello. Yes, and Jello spells a treat. The heck with Waterloo. I, Napoleon, the Emperor of France, will stay here and have Jello with you. Wee wee. Woo! Good night, Nappy. Good night. You have been listening to my favorite husband, starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning, and based on characters created by Isabel Scott Rorick. Tonight's program was produced and directed by Jess Oppenheimer, who wrote the script with Madeline Pugh and Bob Carroll Jr. Be sure to listen to Lucille Ball and My Favorite Husband again next week. Presented by... J-E-L-L Oh, the big red letters stand for the Jell-O family Oh, the big red letters stand for the Jell-O family That's Jell-O Yum, yum, yum Jell-O puddings Yum, yum, yum Jell-O tap Fiocra puddings Yes, sir Listen to Lucille Ball and my favorite husband again next week Bob Lamont speaking Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you very much for listening. Tomorrow night, it's X-1, followed by Life with Luigi. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.